great to be here with you again today. Thank you for coming and meeting here with us. My name is Pastor Todd. I'm the lead pastor here at Eastside City Church, along with my wife, Jan. And again, we're just blessed that you join us. Whenever I see that picture, I keep waiting for the Titanic to come out of somewhere. I just, I, I picture that in my mind. Anyways, we are in a new series called Deeper Things, and I'm excited to share that. But before I do, I want to kind of give you a few highlights. Who here likes to hear good news, hear good things that God is doing in people's lives? And, and so uh, I, I want to share a couple things that have been relayed to me. Uh, last Sunday, uh, my wife and I were here. We prayed for a, uh, a somebody to get a job that was unemployed, and I got a my wife got a text here uh, a day or two later, and we heard that that gentleman got a job. Somebody who didn't have a job now has a job. Let's thank God for that. And another member of our congregation, not only are we praying for people to get work, we're praying that even for those of you that have work, that God is going to increase what he's doing. And so there's another gentleman that talked to me today that said that he had just received an opportunity to get a job where he's going to get paid twice as much as he's making right now. And so God is in the business of helping people, encouraging people. And I, and I, and I share this for you. If you're in a place where you're struggling today or, or you don't have things, I want you to keep praying, keep believing, keep asking God because he will hear your prayers. I believe that with all my heart. Which leads me to that last week we had a great uh, three days of prayer and fasting together. And I know many of you were there. Some of you weren't. And uh, I'm going to encourage you that if you weren't, you missed out on some really good stuff. Uh, we had over almost 100 people on Friday night. And God's presence was there. And we're believing for some incredible things for this year. We're believing our, our church statement is becoming church together. But this year... What we're believing for is that we're becoming family together. And so we're even believing that God is going to add 50 families to our church. We're believing that God is going to help bring 100 people to get saved. And I know in the first service, we had two or three that gave their heart to Jesus. So we know that God is doing really awesome things. And I want to encourage you because here's one of the, the things that surprises me. Uh, sometimes it happens in people's life. You know, the things that we, we should be doing uh, or we need to do, and when we're in a bad spot, we do the opposite things, or we, we don't do that thing. And, I, and I'm always surprised that when people are battling with stuff, that they don't pray, or they don't come to prayer. And I want to encourage you to make a renewed commitment this year to come and pray with other believers. And we have two places that we f officially do that here in our church. We got our Wednesday nights from 7.15 to 8.30. Uh, uh, I had people saying, man, can't we do this all the time? And I said, yes, if we get more people to come, we can experience that full measure just of, of being together. It's an awesome thing. As well as on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11, we have pre-service prayer, and I want to encourage you to take the time to do that. Amen? And as well, you know we've been advertising for a while our Celebrate Recovery um, program that we uh, are, are beginning to do here, and we started that on Tuesday, last Tuesday night, and I want to give you a great report. We had 27 people plus leaders and kids, so probably over 35, 40 people that were there for the very first week. God is in the business of changing people's lives. I'm believing that God wants to change more people's lives. And so wherever you're at, I want to encourage you, if you feel like you've got some habits, hurts, or hang-ups that you're dealing with, it is an awesome 
program to be a part of, and I want to encourage you to come at 6.30 on Tuesday night and do that. Well, now I'm going to get into the Word of God here today, and again, we are in a series called Deeper Things, and we're really talking about having a deeper relationship with God. We first of all started off, Pastor Michael preached a great message on how to go deeper in the Word of God, to to know more of God's Word, to get into it, is is an awesome thing. We all need more of the Bible in our lives. It's the Bible that changes us. And last week, John preached an incredible message on prayer, how to have a deeper prayer life, and that our desire, or what we need to do is to have bigger prayers, that a lot of times we don't really believe God will do things, so we pray small prayers, and God wants us to have bigger prayers. I believe that, because when we have bigger prayers, God becomes bigger in our lives and to the people around us. Well, today I'm going to talk about how to have a life that counts. Who here wants your life to count? You want it to be something incredible. I believe that's what God wants you to do. I remember when I was in uh, junior high and high school, uh, in fact, I gotta go back a little bit farther than that, when I was in grade five is when my whole world turned upside down. My mom went from being a non-believer, that we never went to church, to becoming a Christian, and all of a sudden our whole life changed, not just her life, our life changed. And one of the things that happened is she pulled us from public school into a Christian school. I was not really excited about that when that happened. And it was a school much like our school. Now today I'm thankful for the foundation that it laid in my life. And again, I believe that Eastside Christian Academy, the school that we have here is a great school. If you're looking for a place for your kids to go between kindergarten and grade nine, it will put a great foundation in their lives for their future. But I was in a school much like ours, and so we were a little smaller, and when it came to athletics, we weren't able to compete with the bigger schools or the public schools. And so uh, one of the programs that we had in our school was cross-country running. And so when I was in sixth grade, I began to run cross-country. In fact, the first time I ever ran, I ran in my full school uniform and my dress shoes because I didn't have anything, and I ended up beating some of the high school kids, and so the coach was like, you're going to be on our running team and we'll help you find some shoes if that's what you need. But I remember some of the things that we did because we were small was that we would, uh, instead of having meets, we would go to other schools' meets. I know, this is sounding terrible already. And so we would show up, and, and our coach would say, okay, I know that there's the real start line, but you guys just stand like over on this side, and when the gun sounds, you run, and and so we would run, and we would compete, and we'd get to the end, and then they would be like, well, you can't finish at the real finish line, you got to go over here, and so I remember doing these things, and it was was good, because we got to measure ourselves against other runners, Um, but what was sad is that everything we did really didn't count, you know, it was, just, it was just practice. It was just a measurement here. And, and, and yet we were never going to get a ribbon or a medal or, or our team couldn't really truly say where we are. And so we would put all of this time in and we'd run these races. But at the end of the day, our run didn't count. I believe this, that when it comes to life, I want what I do to count. I want the things that I'm involved in to, to, to have impact, to, to make a difference. I don't think there's anybody here today that would say, you know what, I really don't want my life to count. 
I don't think there's anything worse than finding out at the end of the day or a week or a month or years that, that what you're doing somehow doesn't count. Now, now, my heart goes out to you moms. I'm not going to say that raising kids doesn't count. That's not where I'm going here. Please, some of you are already starting to pick up your Bibles to throw them at me. But I know what it's like because I remember watching my wife when she would you know, the, the, the toys would be everywhere. The, the, your, your kids just seemed to throw everything. And so then you would decide, let's clean everything up. And she'd pick everything up. And it would seem like two minutes later, it was a mess. And it was like all of that work just somehow didn't count. Or, or how about this? You drive to an appointment. Maybe, only I'm, maybe I'm the only person who's ever done this. And, and you discover when you get there, like to an account, you're meeting your accountant or the doctor, and you're supposed to bring something, and when you get there, you forgot what you're supposed to bring. And you realize that you drove clear across the city, and it just, it, it didn't, it, it, it was all for nothing. Or, or how about this, you work really hard on a project at work. I don't know if you've ever done this. And you spend hours, even days, getting this thing pulled together, and all of a sudden your boss just kind of comes by and looks at it, and goes, oh, okay, that's great, sets it down, and never looks at it again. You can feel like your work somehow doesn't count. We do what we do with the hope that somehow, in some way, we are making a difference. And unless there is something that has terribly gone wrong in our lives, I believe that everyone desires for our lives to count. So then how do we make our life count? How do we live a life for impact? Today as we continue our series, Deeper Things, my heart for you is that you will have a life that counts, a life that counts with your children, a life that counts with your spouse or your fiance or whoever you're with, a life that counts with your friends and relatives, a life that counts with your classmates and coworkers. But even more importantly, at the end of it all, I want your, a life that counts for eternity, that has eternal value. And so we're going to turn in our Bible. We're going to look today in the book of Matthew. And we're going to come to a portion of Scripture where Jesus is just coming on to the scene. Actually, it's his first training session with his disciples and many other leaders that he was with and people that were following him. And this is where we have the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus just started off. We, we, we have this story of Jesus that uh, we hear when he was in the temple when he was a, a young boy. And then all of a sudden, boom, in his 20s or late 20s, early 30s, he pops back on the scene again. And we, we don't have a lot of stuff in between. But we know all of a sudden, here is Jesus and people are following him, and they're wanting to hear what he has to say. In fact, the crowds are so big that he has to go outside of the city, and he begins to sit down on a, a hillside, and he starts to teach them. And here he's talking about to his disciples and to everyone that's within earshot. Actually, he's even sharing this with us today. Here's how you can have a life that counts. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 is where we're going to start. It says, he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus was an incredible teacher. 
And one of his favorite ways to teach people was through stories or parables and symbols. And so we have to understand that in this particular instance, he's teaching a large group of people who have followed him out of the city. And he's telling them how they can have a life of impact. Now this is radical because the thought process that ruled in Bible times or the thinking that they had was that in order for you to make changes or to be somebody that would have influence was that you had to come from a certain groups of people. And I have three groups of people that I believe had influence or power. First of all, the wealthy, those who had money. It's always been that way that if people have money, they tend to try to control things. And they, they, they're the ones who are the movers and shakers a lot of times in, in societies. Throughout history, it's, it's, it's been that way that, that wealthy people tend to have more power and authority. The other group was the religious Elite. So in their society, you, you maybe didn't come from a, a wealthy family, but you through your training could rise up through the ranks of, of, of the teaching and, the, and the, the, the Levitical code. And, and they would hope to be that they would get to a place of power and influence within their group. And so there was a select few of people that were the religious elite that, that made differences or changes. And then there was the ruling class, those who were in government. Now the ruling class and the wealthy a lot of times were the the same people. And so it was a very small group of people that actually were able to have influence. You see, the common folk, the poor people, the foreigners, slaves, and everyday regular individuals had zero influence. They were just cogs in the wheel, so to speak. Their status usually in life wouldn't change. It was of the caste system where if you were born into certain things, that's where you were going to stay. And usually you didn't go up but you could go down. <laughs> Those were your options. And so whether they lived or died was material. You see where Jesus, the, the, the area he was speaking, it was a very dark world where, where the dignity of human life or humanity, there just wasn't a lot of value to it. People used people for what they needed. But Jesus begins to teach, and he's talking now not just to the religious leaders, he's talking to everyone. And you can almost here, I believe, if you were there, the excitement and the anticipation is this great leader is speaking to them. If you can even imagine yourself sitting in the crowd and Jesus begins to teach and it begins to, to speak to your heart, that you can make a difference right where you're at. You see, what he began to tell him is, I want you to represent me. The way people are going to know about me is through you, through your life. And I'm going to teach you how to have a life that counts. And he makes two incredible statements using terms they would understand. He first of all says, you are the salt of the earth. And secondly, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, salt was very valuable in biblical times. As it was a multi-purposeful item. It was used as a flavoring, a preservative, and an antiseptic. Now, we all know this, that salt makes things taste better. Who here likes salt? You're a salt person. You, you would confess to that. And your doctor's telling you to be less of a salt person. That's what the goal. I, I know what you're talking about. I, I would give up. I'm sorry. I know some people are going to think I'm speaking blasphemy here today. Like, I can give up chocolate. I can give up sweets. But give me a bag of chips, and it's all over. 
Yeah, I, I, like my, I like my popcorn to have salt. Do not give me plain popcorn. I don't like it. You see, salt adds flavor to things. Now, it was also a preservative. And it was important. We have to understand why this was so important. And it was so valuable. And it was something that they would, would pay money for to, to, or to find it was something that was valuable. Because, you see, they would spend a lot of time raising the cow or the lamb or the goat. And when they were at the place where they could slaughter it for their food, typically the family wasn't going to eat all of the cow in one sitting. Who here has ever seen a family eat a whole cow? I've thought about it, but it's, it's a little too much. And so what they would do then is they would take the salt and they would use it so that the meat would be preserved. They would cure it. They would turn it into like a, a jerky or, like I said, a cure spice meat things. Why? So that it would last, so that it would, they could eat it for day after day after day. It was important for them to preserve their food. Now, I remember uh, when I was just out of high school, I was living with the family for a couple years. It was a great time. They had four boys. Most of them were around my age. They were athletic we played a lot of games. We, we did video games together. We did uh, baseball, basketball. We played all these things. I remember one night, we came in late, and we were, we were going to the, the fridge because we were like, you know what, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? And they said, who wants some hamburgers? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, a burger would be great right now. And so we went into the fridge, and all of a sudden, they pulled out this meat. And I can only describe it as that it was kind of had a tinge of greenish to it, and so he picked up the meat, and he smelled it, and they're like, "Ooh, we'll just cook it longer." They did. I said, "I'm out." If you want to do that to yourself, that they ended up eating these green burgers. It was kind of kind of gross. Salt preserves things. It also was used as an antiseptic. It was a. It's a, you know, salt is a great cleaner. Who here has ever had a cut on your hand and got some salt in it? You know, it, it kind of burns, it stinks. Why? Because it's getting in there and it's cleaning out the, the bacteria. It's destroying the bacteria. Uh, I, I even know this, that sometimes when you're maybe having some issues with your mouth, one of the, the great ways to promote healing is to gargle a little bit of salt water. It, it, it helps things heal better. So it has all of these great properties. Well, what does that mean for you and I today? Why is that important? Why was Jesus talking to them about being the salt of the earth, or, or how was that part of making their life count? Well, I believe this. When we, as followers of Jesus, when we are living the way Jesus called us to live, that we add flavor to the world. When we make it our conviction to honor God's principles, we enhance or add flavor to everything around us. We make the things of God tasty to people. Can I say it that way? Where people are like, wow, there's, I, I, I see the good things in your life. I, 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 I've had people say, there's something different about you. Has anybody ever said that to you? I hope so, because it's a good thing. You see, there's something that they're seeing that they desire. It's, it's producing flavor, you see, they see the goodness of God and they hunger for it. We also do this. We preserve what is right or righteous. When we stand for truth and are filled with love and compassion, it preserves God's truth and righteousness in our land. 
And, and, I, and I believe this, that, that we are called to be people that stand for truth. And it's something that I think has been a struggle for the church for decades is to stand for important things with love and compassion. Do you hear me? Seasoning it with love and compassion. Because there are some people that will stand for truth. Don't you do that. And they're holding their protest signs and no impact. But I believe this, that we have lost some of our influence. And that some of the things that we're battling with are from generations of people that weren't really willing to, to be the salt of the earth, that weren't really willing to, to be the light. And so now we have other people in, in government, in education, in the, in the judiciary that are making decisions that, we, that are completely the opposite of what we believe and we know are true. You see, we have a, a place where people are calling good evil and evil good. And I believe God wants to change that and we're called to be salt, that we are to speak truth, that we are to preserve what is right or righteous. But we're also called to be a cleanser, that we are called to be people who bring healing to broken lives and broken systems. There's a lot of brokenness in the world today. There are a lot of people that are hurting in the world today. And when we allow the, the character of Jesus to become our character, we bring healing to people all around us. We are an antiseptic or a cleanser. So stand up for righteousness. I say this today, we're called to stand up for truth or we become like everyone else. Then Jesus makes the second statement. You are the light of the world. He calls us to be light. Well, what's he saying when he says you're to be light? Well, we're called to reflect his nature, character, and love to everybody around us. I know I've preached another sermon, uh, a sermon about how it's like the sun and the moon, that he is the, the bigger light and we're the smaller light, that we're really called to reflect his light. Like the moon reflects the light of the sun, we're to res reflect the love and life of Jesus to people around us. Because we're living in a place of incredible darkness. You see, that's the, where the people were at that Jesus was preaching to. They were incredibly dark. People were doing things to one another that are almost unmentionable. But I believe this, that our light is meant to be light. And it's not to be hidden. Now, when my son was a little bit younger, I want to say he was probably five or six. Maybe he was even younger than that, four or five. I remember one year for my kids' birthdays, we gave them flashlights. And they thought they were awesome, and we let them have them in their room. They had to set it by their bed, and we were kind of like wanting them to be responsible and teach things. And I remember one night, because I'm a little bit of a night owl. i got to be honest here. I'm a little bit of a night owl. Um, I noticed that there was this ember of light in my son's bedroom. And it would go on, and it would go off. And I would get up, and I would start to walk, and all of a sudden it would go off again. And I'd go sit back down, and it would come on. It was a really, it was a magical thing almost. But I remember, I'm like, what am I going to do? I know what's going on in there. He is playing with his flashlight. And so I went, and I snuck one time where he didn't realize I was coming, and I, I looked around the corner, and I could see that under his covers he was playing with the flashlight. So I did, you know what, any kind and considerate, compassionate parent would do. I said in a really firm voice, what are you doing? Now, I still, to this day, I think there are still fingernails marks in the ceiling from where he, he hit the ceiling. 
You know, he was just having a good time, but he was hiding his light. He had covered his light. He didn't want me to see it. Well, we got to be careful that we don't cover our light, that we don't cover who God is in our lives, that we don't hide it from people around us. You see, I believe this, that Jesus shared when it comes to salvation and how he changed life, it's meant to be observed by people and it's meant to be shared with people. But when we start talking about sharing our faith, who here, if you're honest, your palms are starting to feel a little bit sweaty. Your heart might begin to race just a little bit. You might be beginning to have a thousand negative thoughts about, oh my goodness, what does this mean? What am I going to have to do? And, 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 and I know when I was younger, my tongue used to like stick to the roof of my mouth. You see, I believe that evangelism is something that we many times are, are, we know that we should be involved in it. We know that we should be reflecting Jesus. We know that we should be doing all those things, but we don't do it as often as we should for many reasons. Sometimes we think we have more time than we really do. You know, I've, I've, uh, we can think that we have all sorts of time in our life that nothing's going to change. Well, I'm here to tell you that life changes, and you don't know when you're out of time. We get distracted by temporary things, or we get afraid of what people think, or afraid of offending people rather than obeying God. That's a good one. Or we're not sure what to say. Now, I remember when I was in high school, I grew up in an era where street evangelism was the thing. Like if you were really a full-out, born-again Christian, you were a street evangelist. That's what the, the real Christians did. We did things like track or treat on Halloween. You know, we'd knock on people's doors. They would go trick or treat. I go, uh-uh, track or treat for you. Whoa, what's that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, I got this track for you, you know, in your door. You know, some people listen. And we also had this thing on Friday and Saturday nights that we would go down to the, the, the downtown in our city. I, I don't know if any of you ever grew up in a city where people cruise, where cars, would they would just drive their cars back and forth. That was really popular when I was in high school. People would burn rubber at the lights and, and do all kinds. And so we would get together, my high school friends and I, and, and I got to be honest that I probably went more because of my friends uh, more because some of the girls that were going, you know, I didn't want them to think I wasn't a spiritual guy. I was at a Christian school. So, so I, I would go, and, and our hope was, our hope was that somehow we would not have to talk to people or that our friends would not see us because we were scared. It can be scary. Now, I believe that this happens for one particular reason, and, and this is my first thing I want to talk about when it comes to evangelism. You see, evangelism was never meant to be something we do, but it was always meant to be something that we are. You see, it's not supposed to be something that we, we, we punch a clock and we, we, we check the box and say, you know what, I, I went out and I did that for my hour, but it's supposed to be something that's a part of all of our life, our everyday life. I believe that we're called to make it our lifestyle. It's to encompass our whole life. Our biggest mistake when it comes to a lot of our Christian journey for many of us, and I've been as guilty of this as anybody, and God's constantly reminding me of this, is that our biggest mistake is we try to compartmentalize how we live. Like we do certain things at certain times, but we also do other things that we know maybe are a little questionable, but we still do it because 
well, we're not at church and we're not around church people and so nobody's really going to be a part of it. And so we kind of have this dual life that sometimes is going on. And so that's a lot of times what we do when it comes to evangelism. We look at it as, as something that we need to do and get through and hopefully that if we do it, God will approve of us. But what God's saying is, I want you to, to, to live this way every single day. That Jesus, the Jesus way is that we're continuously to be in the light shining business. Whether we're at home, at church, or we're at work, or traveling across the country, it doesn't matter because we're always called to be a witness for him. When you have this revelation, it will impact what you do when nobody's watching you. What you look at on the computer. The way you talk to your kids or the things that you watch on TV. You see, a lot of times we, we, we see young people that walk away from God because their home life is different than their church life. Because people see this duplicity that comes out of us. And God's been just showing me, Todd, don't do that. It's not right. I think this is one of the greatest cures for sin is understanding that we're called to be a reflection of Jesus all the time. And, and, and here's the other part of it that, that we, we need to understand is that, 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 that it also, the reason that we have trouble talking about Jesus is because we don't talk about him in other places. We don't talk about him with our family. We don't talk about him with our friends. You see, if we made Jesus the center of everything we do, that when we met people and we're in the situation that we need to show them the love of God or talk to them about Christ, it becomes natural because we're doing it all the time. It's just like eating and breathing and sleeping. Am I, am I speaking to some people here today? Is this truth that I'm telling you? I, I think many times we don't share as well because we, we, we look at ourselves and we know that there are some areas in our lives that are not right. You see, it keeps our light from shining. It's, it's kind of like what we're dealing with right now with our Chinooks. It's like the other night I was driving and we were going home. My wife was like, uh, are your headlights on, honey? Yeah. Well, there was so much dirt on my light that they weren't producing anything. In fact, it was so thick, I had to like chisel the mud off of my, my things that had covered me. That's what happens when we allow sin and other things to creep into our life. It, it keeps our light from shining out. But I want to give you some really awesome news here today. Jesus is the giant eraser. And he comes, and he comes, and you, you come to him, and you say, you know what, I realize things haven't been right. My light hasn't been shining. Will you help me? Will you forgive me? And he just goes, yes, I will. And he wipes it completely clean. And all of a sudden, your light can shine again. I want to encourage you today. Do not stay in a place where your light doesn't shine. Hallelujah. We serve a good and awesome God. You see, we are always to be reflecting light because when we do, it changes things. Now, I want a real living demonstration of who Jesus is through my reflection. And, and, and so that comes to the second point I want to make about being the light of the world, that we're called to be the light of the world. I, I believe that when we're the light of the world, that our life becomes an adventure. Our life becomes an adventure I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you ever had your kids come to you and tell you they're bored? Yeah. 
you know, they got Xbox, they got TV, and they come to you and they're just like, I'm bored. Like somehow, I, I, I joke with my kids, I said, sometimes I believe you think that God placed me on the earth to be your 24-hour activities coordinator. But you know what? God gave you creativity in mind, so we have this conversation, and they, we, we, we challenge them and to, to, to find different things. But the reality is that sometimes they get bored. Why? Because they're not doing anything that's productive. I think some people suffer from this in church. They get bored in their Christian walk. And they come to church and they're like, you know what? You know, you're you're not that funny when you preach. You should be more comical. You should produce more humor in it. Or you know, I don't like the worship. They don't sing all of the, and so we become critical. Why? Because we get bored in our faith because we're not living the adventure that God created us to live. And what the adventure is, is that when you're a reflection of the light of Jesus Christ, when you make that your personal conviction that this is how you're called to live, it changes everything. In normal routines, can become extraordinary opportunities. Your life was designed to be an adventure. So how does that work? How do we get that adventure? I, uh, here's one of the things that I strive to do every day. I wake up and I say, God, how do you want to use me today? Or Lord, is there somebody that you want to bring into my life today? And you know what? It's amazing when you pray that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer, I'm telling you. If you pray that prayer and you pray it with conviction, I don't know what's going to happen, but I promise you this, that it's probably going to be radical, wild, and crazy. That you're going to have some amazing stories to tell people of people that you meet in restaurants and, 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 and airports and, and things that happen just out of the blue that you, your car breaks down and somebody helps you and all of a sudden you strike up a conversation and God all of a sudden turns it into this incredible moment. Why? Because all of a sudden now your life isn't just about doing the routine things. All of a sudden you're saying, God, I want you to use me wherever I'm at. And our life becomes an adventure. Don't have a boring life. It's your choice whether you have a boring life. I challenge you to pray prayers that you say, God, I want you to use me. I want to see what you can do. I think church should be different. I think we would, all right, pastor, it's Testimony Sunday. We got 100 stories that we're going to tell, and people would go, ah, they'd be encouraged. But here's the last thing I want to talk about. In order for this to happen, what else do we need to do? I believe this, we got to plug into the power source. Every light needs power. You know, one of the things when we, we, you, you read about the Bible and it talks about light and it talks about the lights that were in the temple and the burning, it was always about the presence of God or it referred to the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. I, one of my jobs right out of high school was doing renovations for this, this gentleman. And I remember one time while we were re- renovating a bathroom, he asked me if I would change the light fixture 
And he said, Todd, I want you to change this. I'm going to go to the, the, the breaker box, and we're going to, uh, uh, I'm going to turn off the power, and so just give me a minute, and this is what we need you to do. And, and, and so uh, I was like, okay, and so I waited a minute, and what I didn't realize it before I was going to deal with the light fixture, he got a phone call and got distracted. And so I took the fixture off the wall, and I remember that moment when I grabbed those bare wires, It was a come-to-Jesus moment in my life. I understood what the power could feel like. I mean, all of a sudden, when I grabbed a hold of those, I felt a jolt of electricity that moved through my arm in such a way that it felt like the biggest football player in my high school had come and just punched me right in the arm. And then I let out this howl. I can only describe it. It was a a, a blood-curdling like a coyote howling at the moon is what it sounded like, I swear. Well, that's what my boss told me. You see, because once he realized what had happened, he came in and he he figured out that I was okay, then he laughed like his head off. He thought it was the funniest thing. You see, the reality is the 110 would not kill me unless I had like a heart issue. I was going to be okay. But it isn't something I recommend that you do unless you want to feel how powerful electricity is. You, know, you see, to make our life count, we need to be plugged into the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you know, the writer is saying this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Listen to this. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes on us, you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is your hometown, throughout Judea, the province that they're in, in Samaria, which was their country, and into the ends of the earth, which is the world. You see, when we really say, you know what, God, I want you to be, I want to be your light, I want to reflect your light, and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, all of a sudden we can do powerful things for God. Powerful. I believe when you plug into the Holy Spirit, he becomes your the tour director on your adventure. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will fill you with the power to do what is needed to do. He will let you know when you should talk or when you just need to listen. He will give you the courage to reach out to complete strangers. He will give you prophetic insight. He might tell you some information about a person or a situation and you go to them and you speak it to them and when they go, whoa, where did you find that about? It's because the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you. He can give us the power to overcome temptation. It's the key that you and I need to plug into. Now I want to say this, when we become a follower of Jesus, when we Except Jesus into our hearts, the Holy Spirit is with us. He guides us. But who here knows there's a difference between 110 voltage and 220? Now, if I, I grab the 110 and I could live to talk to you about it today. But if you grab a hold of a 220 volt thing, my head and my arms would have been in two different places. That's how powerful it is. And I believe that God's desire for us is not just to have the Holy Spirit, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can do what he's called us to do, that we can be his witness wherever we go. And you know what? I believe it transforms life. I think of Peter, the apostle, the early church. Before Holy Spirit, 
He was a guy that was getting in trouble all the time. One moment Jesus was saying, man, you understand the kingdom of God. Another moment, get thee behind me, Satan. One moment he's walking on water. The next moment he's sinking. Why? Because he was vacillating between so many things. One moment he denies Jesus. And then, 40 days after Jesus ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and it fills him and it floods his life. And all of a sudden he stands up and he goes, begins to preach. And he preaches a message that day that was under such power and anointing. It says that 3,000 people got saved. And that's where the first church started, right there in that moment by the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm believing this year. God wants to do some incredible things here. 50 new families, hopefully people that don't even know Jesus as Kathy shared uh, on our Friday night, the Cornelius anointing, what is that? Where not just a person gets saved, but their whole family gets saved and comes to Jesus Christ because God has touched them. We're believing for 100 new salvations in our church this year, that God is going to touch 100 people. We had at least three this morning in the first service. I believe God might have some more here today. And we're off to a, a great start because God is in the business of saving people and changing people and transforming transforming people and who here is thankful that he's transformed you to a certain level already but you realize that you probably could use a little bit more transformation today because we serve a great God.